0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Brick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Kovan. It is 1044 a.m. Eastern on March 25th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, Guys, yesterday was a big day for me. Um, Nobody sent me any flowers or or congratulations or or cards. I I have not received my flowers, either metaphorically or literally, but yesterday was the three-year anniversary of uh, the Easter Trump video. Uh, a video that gave me um, six months of fame and three years of mental torture. So uh, thank you. I wish. I wish uh, nobody commemorated that. It's not a big deal anymore. Okay. But three twenty four is my nine eleven. Okay. I, I. hope that's that doesn't offend any of you. It's probably you know. What, and second thought, that's probably a little too strong. It's it's not my nine eleven. It's more like my first World Trade Center bombing. How about that? It's my nineteen ninety three. My three twenty four is my nineteen ninety three. That's I think more tasteful. But yeah, it uh, you know it's it's uh, it caused me to obviously reflect uh, a little bit yesterday because I'm approaching twenty years in comedy and the three year anniversary of the video that that certainly changed my life, changed my bank account, but sort of recalibrated my expectations for my comedy career, which only set me up to be more disappointed and bitter than I'd ever been before. And I was quite disappointed and bitter in the way my comedy career had turned out. But, um, I think I've just, I think I've come to a point now, um, you know, we're one week away from, uh, the taping of, uh, my, my eighth hour, um, by the way, uh, on, in, in terms of half Blackface today is day 520 since the album was recorded and the first taping, which obviously had to be scrapped. And I think we're 300 and like 12 days from the second taping. Um, the Empire State Building was built in 410 days. Just just as a point of comparison, I thought I'd give you that. The Empire State Building was built in 410 days. I'm 520 days into a comedy special and album. Um, it is, uh, quite the quagmire, quagmire, quag, quag, I think I said quagmire because I didn't want it to sound like the character on family guy, but it's quagmire. The word is quite, quag- I just associate it with that character now. But anyway, the point is ticket sales are terrible still for they're still on. It's still on pace to be my least attended taping in my 20 year career, which is, as you can imagine, um, more baffling than it is. Disappointing. Because I just don't, you know, we've just hit the point now where I just kind of have to accept accept that what I wanted out of comedy, um, I gave it my best shot. I've made a lot of stuff. I've made some people laugh and happy, and I've done. I've I've made good stuff, and I've made a lot of it. But f- whatever the reason, um, obviously, if I find out when I'm eighty years old that some individual had a role in blacklisting me well then you know then it's Walter White Liam Neeson taken time but outside of that very remote tiny possibility I think it's just I had bad luck or a bad face or 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 something and it just didn't it didn't work out and that's at some point you realize like as a, as a person of height, as a person of size, uh, you know, I'm 43, I turned 44 in a month. And I think about my mortality. I think pandemic made me really think about mortality more, not because I was ever in any mortal danger, but you know, my uncle sort of died surprising to to all of us, not of COVID, but I think he had kept his health sort of a seat, you know, kind of to himself really, um, what his situation was. And, That was his choice. That's obviously end of life stuff is somebody's choice. But I think he, you know, in consultation with his family might have come to a different conclusion may have said, Okay, you know, chemo is probably too dangerous. Maybe I just need to worry about quality of life for my last six months, because chemo is literally what killed him. Um, Obviously, it was to fight cancer that would have killed him, but his body couldn't couldn't take. Chemo, but he kind of kept that to himself. Um, I remember, you know, as my mom was very upset going through his belongings. You know, he'd done a lot of like shopping, like clothing, newer clothing, and household items. And I think I've said this before on the show, but I think that was, you know, that was probably for his own mental health to be like, you know, well, if you you reverse engineer your luck, you sort of say, well, if I'm, I'm buying a new wardrobe and I'm restocking on bathroom and housing supplies, you know, I'm going to be here for a little bit. I've got years ahead of me. And I think that was probably good. That's a good thing to sort of try to be optimistic, to try to put yourself in a position to be optimistic. Obviously, though, he he did pass. And between COVID, just sort of massive death, and my, and more personally, my uncle's death, I, I just started thinking about mortality a lot more. Not in the most morbid way. I save my most morbid thoughts for my comedy career. But, um, you know, you just sort of say, okay, the shoulder has, like, my, my body is like, deteriorated over the last year. And and the, the causes are very simple. I think I'm a little mentally weak when it comes to comedy, it can really get me down. Um, but the combination of knee surgery, which set me back a little bit, but wouldn't have set me back, but for the sort of despondency over the, you know, at the same time I was recovering from knee surgery, I had just been told I had to reshoot my special. And that was rough enough. But then the shoulder, um, you know, the, the the double shoulder surgery has really it, it's had a much more profound effect on my mental health because it's just made me feel so inept and weak and I look te- like in the mirror I look terrible now so it's, it's it's just it's you think about your mortality and you just sort of wonder okay well let's say I might have five days left I might have five years I might have five decades but You know, I'm a big person. I do have some good genes. My mom is 75 and still kicking. My father made it till 85. But I'm also a very big person. And, you know, you just sort of see that the struggles in comedy pile up. And at some point you just go, is this what I'm going to do for my life? Like, is this this how I'm going to spend, like, fighting some righteous fight for like my comedy is very good and and lots of people like it and therefore I must stay in this business the business doesn't want me the industry has I don't even think it's apathy I think it's negativity towards me and I don't know why is it my material my my face my my voice my reputation I don't I don't I have no fucking idea but It is. You just have to sort of accept it at some point because you have to realize, okay, what's more important that I keep like banging my head against the wall because I'm right or because I am a really good comedian or that you just say, oh, fuck it. I've made a couple of friends in this business, but this business won't miss me. Most a lot of my friends that were comedians don't do comedy anymore, which kind of speaks to the type of people I think I generally like. They're the type of people who walk away from comedy, (laughs) but you know, you just have to sort of, you have to sort of take stock of everything and go, what if I only have five years left? Is this a good way to spend my life? If I have 40 years left, is this a good way to spend my life with a, with a a comedy culture that I think is diminished, Uh, you know, just an art form that's diminished? Like, what, what am I? The, the, the records keeper for proper comedy, ethic, ethics, and etiquette, and entertainment. No, I'm just I'm just a fucking comic, that a few people laugh at, and most people just could give a shit, um. You know, and it's and I don't I don't I don't get it. I don't know how to cultivate the kind of fan base that would help sustain my career, and I don't I, I'm too old to learn, um. Because if I have to master TikTok, I'd rather go to a fucking movie with the Righteous Girlfriend. I'd rather take a trip. To Vegas, or or to a Utah jazz game, or to California, or maybe go abroad for something. I it, like it was it was my college basketball career was very similar in that I really didn't enjoy playing college basketball, and I didn't even make many friends from it. My my I have th- I have I have a few a, a few friends like I put that in like social media terms um, that I that I like and that I'll have some exchanges with, and that's great. But then I have like. <clears throat> Honestly, and this is no slight on anybody that I played with, but like, I basically have one friend from my class who I communicate with on and off, and two friends who are class of '99, one who I communicate with more regularly than but but other than that, basically basketball gave me nothing except four years of frustration, um, and I couldn't study abroad, um. I worked very hard at basketball and I was like sort of, you know, like I just figured if I, if I worked hard enough and, but I, you know, I never elevated more than like a, a rotation bench player as an upperclassman. And I was you know, like comedy. I was, I was proud of the, my, my effort and my skills, but at the end of the day, and, and basketball was a much, I have much less animosity towards basketball because the fact is I wasn't so clearly amazing that there was no argument for other people to play. It was, it was, you, you hope you do your best. And it, you know, I was at best a sort of judgment call on the part of a coach, you know, then those judgment calls often went against me, but I was not somebody who was like, oh, if you just gave me the time, I'd be fucking getting 22 and 15 a game. No, if I played like 30 minutes a game, I'd probably be good for like 12 and seven. And that's not, that's good. That guy would have been a good player at a high level division three program, but I wasn't going to be fucking i was whereas my comedy career what's more frustrating about it is I think I am the equivalent of you know uh, an all american level player but but it's not happening it's been twenty years and it's it's not happening so I'll probably just write some stuff in my spare time. I have ideas for for things good things to write um uh, you know a pilot a movie and a and a book and maybe those things will just be creative outlets, maybe they'll turn into something who knows but <sighs> The the you know everybody is telling me basically the same message the industry, my fellow comedians you know I'll I'll you know I have I have way too many people like like I just it's I'm always sort of startled at how many fans and and friends don't listen to my stuff because it's like but you know I'm very good and you like my stuff and and don't it's this is not any one particular complaint it's just kind of weird where you're like I am doing all this stuff and it's like. People who are fans, so to speak, whether they be friends or actual fans or whoever, don't really engage in any of the things I do. So you just sort of have to wonder, like, what's what's the point Um, if it just only frustrates you? So um, I don't know. I have one more show scheduled in April and and shout out to TC, uh, a fan from Minnesota who came to see me in Chicago. He 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 did that thing that I always wish fans would do it's, it's, you know, but maybe it has no help, but it, it, it's, it's, he, he wrote to a club in uh, St. Paul. And I think I talked about this a few weeks ago. Like it's a club that I'd be in their top three or four acts. If they put me on the calendar right now, I would be probably no lower than three on their sort of like, here's who we have coming to the club. Maybe four, maybe four. Now they have like 20 something acts. So he wrote to them. And then I followed up and wrote to them with like my resume, my, my socials, my, you know, and I haven't heard anything back. And, and it's one of those things where you just go, this is how important agents are in this game. I'm literally asking you for a gig. That's, that's kind of beneath me. And I don't see, you know, I, am I, I think I respect all venues that, that respect me and book me, but I'm just saying very few venue comedy venues. Should I be like one of your top five acts for the year based on everything I've discussed, but I would be at this place and I, I didn't get a response. Now I'm going to try again in, in the beginning of April against sort of my, my will like I, cause I really, it's hard for me to find motivation to, to pursue any more stand up work at this point. Um, Pittsburgh hasn't gotten back to me, which is what I feared, because once again, ticket sales were not great. So once I canceled due to surgery, I think that just gave them an out to be like, yeah, you know, he wasn't probably going to sell a ton of tickets. So maybe we just don't respond to his emails anymore. So I'm basically done with the improv chain, it seems, um, due to low ticket sales. Um, I can't get this club in St. Paul to write back to me due to probably lack of an agent. Um, even a small time agent, somebody going on your behalf who has any kind of relationship with the club is better than being on your own. Um, you just don't get the, re- there's a presumption of failure if you aren't repped by somebody, I think. Um, so, so we've just hit this real crossroads that we've kind of been staring at for a while, but it's just, if your fans don't buy tickets, if the agent management side of the industry is is not just ignoring you, but actually rejecting you and clubs, you know, like, like it's, it's, it's sort of all you can do is either just be frustrated or just accept the truth. So I think I'm very, I'm, I'm sort of at an acceptance point. Um, could this turn around if half blackface does some business? Of course. But what do we really think? Do we really think half black? I mean. Half Blackface. I, I I think I already said it. I go through these brain fogs. But Empire State Building. 400 days. 410 days to get built. Half Blackface. 520 days and counting. Still not released anywhere. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, I'm in Red Bank, New Jersey on April 29th. And I am uh, at the Triad Theater in uh, on, on April 1st. Um, so, just get your tickets. Hope to see you there. It's going to be a good hour. Um... And then the day I'm looking forward to more than anything is April 2nd. Uh, Because I'm just... I I was tempted to go to the Jazz Nets game in Brooklyn and get some seats right behind the Jazz bench and just yell, Williams College Hoops! at Coach Will Hardy. Um, But, I don't know. It's... uh, Part of me just wants to relax. Like, really relax. Like, in other words, if that's my first day off mentally from comedy... I don't know if I want, I, I might just want to go to a fucking cheesecake factory and go for a walk and, and, and start that diet April 3rd and, and just start getting in a better place. Um, cause comedy just doesn't, I wish I could enjoy comedy, but, but I don't have that gene in me. I don't have the, if I'm, if I'm not getting what I deserve or what I think I've earned and deserve on merit, on skills, on whatever, it's just hard for me to be like, well, I'll just do it for a hobby. I can't, I can't, I can't go back to that. It's just very difficult because I'd always be reminded of, of what feels like failure. So it's very tough to just go, yeah, I'll just go back. Home. And, and, and what to have people go, Hey, you were bubba blah or Hey, well, you, you were killing it. You were right. Yeah, I was, I was when, during the pandemic when nobody could do anything and, and maybe that was it, you know, and, and I could accept that, but then it's, you know, you think of every other pandemic star that blew up and got representation and got all these other things. And I'm not just talking about Sarah Cooper. I'm talking about a, a bunch of like several people and none of that for me. And so be it. But the more I stay in it, as you can imagine, just given my personality, I'm not going to become a new person overnight, but given my personality, I can't help but gravitate towards the this is fucked up. What the fuck? like disrespect, anger, hostility, frustration, depression. It's not a good place. Um so, now that you've all stopped listening, uh yes, check out um I have a Patreon. I know everybody loves my Ron Reagan impression. Well, he's reviewing The Godfather and God is Not Great in April on the Patreon as part of the book club. It'll be a special guest host by Ron Reagan Jr. Um the Patreon is another interesting thing because the Patreon, like making podcasts great again, is really something I'm simply continuing until the special comes out. And I can use that platform to hopefully directly reach people who give a shit. Um, but I, I just don't know. I, I don't know when Half Blackface is coming out. I, I just, I can't. Ugh. I wish it wasn't still bothering me. Because it really feels like a joke At this point But my god I mean my fucking god They took my greatest fucking thing My my best last hope At fucking Breaking out Or, or, or changing a little bit of the trajectory Of my career And they fucking murdered it They, they fucking over the course of 520 fucking days They murdered it And And I just, I can't, it's like, I still can't comprehend what the fuck happened with that. Um, and, you know, the fact that I will have to split the money for that ad infinitum in perpetuity is just such a, it's like a monthly spit in my face. Um, I think I've said before, in a different culture, you fuck up somebody's biggest work, you you fucking take a sword, you, 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 you impale yourself on your fucking sword if, if you do that, you don't take 50% of the money for, for life, but there I go again being difficult, right? <clears throat> excuse me. So I wouldn't want to come to my special taping either, but anybody who's ever been to see me perform live knows that, uh, this isn't what you get when you, when you see me live, <clears throat> but let's talk about some more fun stuff. Shall we now that I've gotten that off of my phlegm clogged chest, <clears throat> excuse me. So last week, I was in Washington, D.C., and that show went wonderfully. Um, I uh, I was, of course, I was in the quiet car going down, and a woman was on her phone um, for at least 45 minutes, and she eventually got off her phone when there was an announcement made overhead. <clears throat> I don't know if she thought I had snitched, but I just it's much like my issues with making podcasts great again with, with other things when I'm right. I find it very hard to speak up <clears throat> because I have a, a tendency to go nuclear. Um, like I wanted to say to the woman, you know, I, I almost, I almost got up and grabbed the quiet placard that was hanging from the seat, the roof of the train and threw it on her seat. That's not helpful, right, guys? We can agree that wouldn't be a helpful solution, but I wanted to just grab it and throw it on her fucking seat and said, "Can you fucking read?" Because the like I'm I'm like the drama version of of Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm I'm the guy who who wants to speak up, but it's not funny when the giant angry eyebrowed guy does it. When it's the elderly bald prick it's it's awkwardly funny when I do it it's threatening and but that's it's like last night I'm I'm on that well we'll get to that later but I'm just saying like train etiquette hey there's a quiet car with no cell phone use I sat in this car for no cell phone use but I just know I I bring a gun to a a slap fight in terms of my tone so I just sit and I stew and it gets worse and worse. And the worse it gets inside me, the less likely I am to speak up. And it's like a vicious cycle where I'm just like, God fucking dirt." it. But what I want to do is just take the placard off and throw it at her and say, shut the fuck up. Excuse me. Shut the fuck up. You're still talking. Shut up. Um, and that would be wrong. I would be wrong. That would be an, a, a, an, an, an overcorrection. And I acknowledge that. So instead of like so many things I stew in my own frustration, but a lot of people putting their feet up on chairs, like with sneakers on, I'm like, you wouldn't do this in, this is a seat. Somebody's going to sit in for like a hundred to $200. Why are you putting your, your dirty sneakers on the seat? Like, I I don't, I don't understand. I, I don't understand. Like, You know, I I don't want to sound like a Republican, but I do think there has been an erosion of sort of morals and and courtesies. If you don't want to couch it in sort of religious or ethical terms, there's there's been a real erosion of of courtesies and manners um, where it's like this sort of live and let live attitude has has gone into a realm where it's like, uh, okay, like, sure, be yourself. But like. D- d- is rudeness and lack of courtesy like part of the price we must pay for, hey, I'm just being me. Well, fuck you. I hate you. How about that? That's what I think of you being you. I think you suck. Okay. Can I say that? That's me being me. I'm being me. You're a fucking rude asshole. Oh, look at us. Just being us. Oh, isn't this a great world we live in? Um, But got to D.C., hung out with my buddy Ross. We had, uh, we had some, some, some taco dinners. He lives near like the waterfront, like the new built up waterfront area, really nice area down there in DC. I felt terrible physically cause the cold was sort of at its peak. And, uh, uh, then I went and had the show and, and we sold, uh, what do we sell the room seat 60? We had like 53 tickets sold. So it felt full and it was a very good show. Chris Lambert, friend of the show, friend in real life, opened for me and, and really killed it. Um, and then I felt great. I felt great about you know all the new material and, and it, just a few things. And Ross, uh, you know, gave me a few pointers on on how to just um, tweak a few things or what he he just basically gives me his opinion. But I value his opinion. So so some of it was very, uh, very very worthwhile in terms of adjusting the set, um, ordering a couple of things. So then I made my way home on the twelve. Did I go over this on the on the Patreon? I'm sorry if I did. Or did I do this? I don't know when I've recorded it, guys. I'm in a I'm in a fog. Um, apologies if I. But okay, DC went great. There's the bottom line. Uh, DC went great. I can't remember if I did a Patreon episode or if I actually covered this on the last last week's episode. So I apologize. Um... I thought I recorded before I went to DC, but whatever. Maybe this is why people don't listen because I'm I'm losing my marbles. But on Tuesday, I went with the righteous girlfriend to a Ranger game. I decided since I had such a big tax refund, most of that's just going into savings. But I figured let's do a couple fun things, you know, like like let's let's live a little. And since we like uh, we like. We liked the Ranger game we went to uh, before. I literally found the exact same seats for the game against Carolina, who was a top tier team. So the tickets were top tier priced, and they tried, these things are fucking expensive. I don't know how people go to the Rangers all the time, but the great seats. Um, Rangers ended up losing. They were up one nothing going to the third period. They ended up losing three two. Carolina scored like three goals in like the span of eleven minutes or something. Um. So that was disappointing, but the game is always just really, it's, it's, hockey really is just super fun to go to, although I am, um, I, I just am always uncomfortable. I feel actually bad. I saw a black dude. Now I blend in, you know, I'm a day walker, but it's so white. That I just I feel uncomfortable like there was a, there was a moment where I guess some group of young young ladies. I wouldn't maybe they weren't they weren't very ladylike, but they were walking away from two guys sort of rotund looking guys. And the guy was just screaming out. Pardon my language. Fuck you. You fucking cunt. And then she was like her group of friends was like waving their fingers. I don't know if they bumped into them or or said something or and he was like, you fuck fucking mother. And I'm not exaggerating this like atrocious New York mike francesa a- accent your mother fuck your mother you fucking cunt fuck off cunt and they like walked away hanging their middle fingers out and i was like ah this is this is good um the uh but it was it's so white at the hockey game it's just unco- I, i'm sorry it's it's just uncomfortable and and then i saw a black dude and i actually felt bad <laughs> Like, I felt sorry. I was like, God, he must feel like he's alone. And maybe not. Maybe not. But but I just, I couldn't help. It was like, I feel sort of alone. Like, righteous girlfriend, don't tell anybody. (laughs) But... It, it's so white and you just get so you get so nervous. And I was like, Oh good. Just vir- virulent misogyny right now. I have yet to hear any racism at the hockey game. And then somebody might say to me, well, jail, maybe you're being a little too paranoid based on media narratives. And I'm like, no, there's definitely way too many cops and firefighters and white people here for there not to be some quality racism going on somewhere in pockets of this stadium. But fortunately I never hear any of it. Um, and that's all I want out of life. Just let me blue pill myself once in a while but um, the real story in the game was I'm online for a hot chocolate from Dunkin Donuts and great hot chocolate by the way at the garden. I mean it's five bucks or six bucks but it, it's a it's a it's a well a well calibrated uh, chocolate hot chocolate mix and a guy comes up to me and he goes he's with his son and he goes Donald Trump and I go hey, yeah and he goes, Let me tell you something. And he, for about a minute, right in front of the Righteous Girlfriend, who, uh, needless to say, was not as impressed as if I had brought some, you know, Long Island skank with me. Who was like, oh, my God, you're famous. Oh, my God, that's so hot. After the Ranger game, we should go somewhere. Um, (laughs) But this guy, for like a minute, was just like, dude, first of all, you should be on SNL. And I was like, oh, thanks. He goes, and. You did a cameo. I don't know if you remember. It was my friend's 50th birthday. Now, I've probably done 150, 50th birthday messages. But he's like, it was my friend's 50th birthday. He's brother or friend. And he goes, and we went back and forth a little bit on the details. But people on cameo, they usually do like 30-second messages. You did six minutes. Dougie Fresh, you're on. Uh, uh, on. Uh, uh, on. No, he didn't say that part. That was me. But he said, you did six minutes. And what you did with it. It was amazing. And he looks at his son and he goes, remember this guy? This is the guy who did the Trump. Remember, And the son was like, yeah, yeah, I saw it. And the guy was so kind. And so it, it was one of those things where I said, yes. It's not about him saying, oh, you're amazing. It was like the pride that I take in my work. That's the most important thing to me in a weird way. Like, Like that's, I would love to be famous and rich from comedy but not because i want to be famous or rich although those things would be nice it's because they would validate those are the markers those that's the currency if you're an excellent comedian getting recognition money and fame usually follow that's why those things are more those are markers not so much goals but markers you know and but it's the pride and the work and like the fact that this guy was gushing over the cameo is why I I do the best I can with those things and why I don't because that's that's a fan that is an individual fan making a financial commitment to me and there's they they they, they can speak no louder than with their wallet and with a signet. you know cameos are not are much more expensive than like a ticket to a show so if you if you're ordering a cameo for me like I, I want to deliver something that you will love, that you will share with friends, that you will remember. And the fact that this guy came up to me like two years later and was like, holy, and, and was so nice. And, and I appreciated it that I was just like, all right, that felt so good. And not for the flex of like, oh, you see this? Getting recognized again. I made a joke on, 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 on Twitter and, and Facebook about it. But like, it really was just the pride of, of a job well done that made me feel so good. Um, so the next day, cause you knew there had to be a flip to this <laughs> in the words of Neil and heat, but there's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in? I am not going back for nothing. Uh, heat, everybody, 1995, check it out. Um, but the next day, uh, because of the triad theater's weirdness, I had to send an email to the people who've attended my shows at the triad, reminding them of my new special taping. Because the triad, for some reason, wouldn't send out one under their email. So I had everybody's email that had kind of clicked the sign up for newsletters or had failed to unclick from the newsletters. So I sent an email to all those people. And it was like, I literally say up top, this is the one and only email you received from me. But um, the triad was unable to send out A message to you so I'm doing it from my personal email but and it was just about the show and a couple of jokes and I was like so thank you appreciate appreciate if you can't make it thank you for supporting my first special taping and I hope to see you at a future show an hour later I get a reply now I need to remind you these are people who have paid money to see me record a special this is not an email that I stole based on Twitter followers or YouTube subscribers. These are people who have already paid money to see me perform live. Unsubscribe. That was it. Unsubscribe. That's all they wrote back. Even though the email said, this is the one and only email you will get from me. Right up top. Uh, I said, apologies for the, for, the, for the mass email. This is the one and only email you will get from me, but blah, 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 blah. Unsubscribe. That's the only thing the person wrote back. And I felt like that is a perfect flip side to what happened at the Ranger game. But once again, what bothered me about it, this wasn't a stranger. I mean, it's a stranger. I don't know who the fuck this person is, but it wasn't a stranger. Like I actually was wondering, like, oh, is this a friend? Is this a friend who came to the show? But it was it was not. I did not recognize the person's name. Um, but this is like a fan. This isn't somebody whose email I stole from some list serve or something. This is presumably somebody who knows my work and then came to see a live taping of a special. And their reply to me was unsubscribe. That's... That's my problem. And that's my confusion is that this is I can't get more of a sort of fan, if you will, than somebody who buys a ticket to see me live. And if that's the, you know, once again, if that's the response I get from a fan, a blatantly kind of rude, insulting response, when you consider what the text of the email said, it's, it's my personal email, so it's not like a list serve or subscription service. So unsubscribe was just, just a blatant sort of, fuck you. Mind you, not from a stranger, not from a person whose email I stole, who's never seen anything I've done. This was from somebody who came to my special taping. So that brought me immediately back down to earth. And I said, okay, thank you for keeping me humble, whoever out there is fucking with my comedy career. But that was just that is that was in a 24 hour span i i got the high and lows from two fans it was two fans who gave me opposite ends of the spectrum you'd think uh oh a fan and somebody who hates my guts gave me the no two fans 180 degrees difference in sort of respect and treatment so you know what are you going to do right guys but uh then we had the uh, show in Philly. Tonight is sold out. Catch a Rising Star in Princeton, uh, but um, Philly, Philly is is it was last night. And my friend Mick DeFlo uh, opened for me. He had asked me years ago if I ever had a show in Philly, if maybe he could open because he's 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 you know he rolls deep in Philly, and boy did he roll deep. We had a packed house in Philly. It was it was really beautiful to see. And what's cool is uh, the MC was a guy, Steve Leventhal, who is a he is a he was a New York comic and he moved with his wife to Philadelphia. Um, and I think, he, you know, just bounces around doing shows down there. But always was a very nice guy. I would see him at open mics and stuff. Uh, very nice guy. And uh, on, on Mick, Mick, on his behalf, had asked if he could MC. And I said, yeah, yeah, if Mick doesn't. Mick is not really an MC type. Um, so I said, sure, sure. Yeah, he can. He can. He can host. And so we're in the green room, and I said, I don't want to look in that fucking room. I don't want to see what's going on. He goes, oh, it's pretty good. I go, yeah, 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 no, you sound pretty good. You're just reassuring me, and I'll walk in, and it'll be fucking half empty. I'd rather just not know that until it's time for me to go on stage. I'd rather not think about that. So he said, okay. He said, but then I walked in halfway through mixed set to get set up my camera and stuff. And it was packed. And Steve, it was kind of a nice moment, to be honest. Steve gave me a look. And I was like, oh, you kept it a secret from me, so I'd be pleasantly surprised. How nice. And that was, uh, that was probably the peak of my feelings that night. <laughs> because after I got on stage, Mick must, Mick rolled with about 40 people, I think. I was joking that it was Mick's 50th high school reunion. Um, but the, com- the crowd was probably 15, to, let's say 20% JL fans. 30% Mick DeFlo friends, family, and fans. And then um, just City Winery people who were out for a show randomly or had, you know, just, just people who were intrigued or maybe some people who weren't fans of mine but then read my bio and were like, oh, okay. Or just members, members of City Winery who rolled in. But for the next 50 minutes, I had a set of that was as difficult to set as I've had in the last year or two. Um, it, was, uh, it was a slog. It was a, it was a slog. Um, and part of it was like, you know, you have a third of the crowd uh, thrilled at Mick. Like emotionally, he was their headliner. So some of them were checked out. And then as I found out later, Mick is not a, you know, a right wing guy. <laughs> but apparently the places he rolls from, as I was informed by some fans who came up to me, many fans came up to me after and were like, you were very funny. This was a fucking weird crowd. And then somebody else was like, man, you really went for it. That took a lot of guts in this crowd. And I was like, I I just assume, hey, I'm in Philly. I always crush it at helium. You know, whether it's like right wing douches from South Jersey, but who like a good comedy show and and appreciate my irreverent skill level or just left-wing, you know, city dwelling people. I always do well in Philly, so I assumed I would crush it at City Winery, but this was a slightly different different crowd. And I think they were some they were respectful. I think that the setting the, the city winery setting is a little more elegant than a comedy club. So I feel like people are less inclined to walk and to, to insult and heckle. So, so the crowd was whether they didn't seem to like me overall, but they were respectful. So I have to tip my hat to that, you know, because that's the thing. You, you don't have to like me, you just have to be maybe a little respectful. And they were. So that's all I can ask of a comedy audience. If, they, if you don't like my humor, it may make you dumb, it may make you um, weird but perfectly entitled. to that. I cannot, I cannot be mad at you for not liking my comedy. I just can be mad if you're rude. And they were not rude. It was a respectful crowd. Um, but for for 50 minutes, I, I, I could feel thank God I wore an undershirt under my shirt because I was Patrick Ewing at the foul line level sweaty underneath from the neck below. Um, because it was just I had a few zingers, um, the, the, the line of the final line of my closing bit still, still landed, which was refreshing because I was like, Hey, if it's landing with a crowd, that's not really feeling me. Then that is, then I'm, I'm confirmed that my closing line for my special is a good one, but they were not down with the Trump stuff. And this, this set is like the first set in my, in my life that will have, a decent chunk of political stuff. Now, Patreon people have already seen one of the signature bits from the special and it is getting rave reviews. So, uh, in addition to the book reviews and and all the other stuff I've put on Patreon, uh, for a few bucks, you can get access to that, but there's a good preview of one of the big bits on the special, um, the new one. So that didn't stick as well. A lot of stuff was just not landing very well and it was a big room. It was full, but man, That silence in a big room sounds very silent. So that was the high point of the night, was a half-bombing in front of uh, Philadelphia. The worst part was when I left for the gig. So... I got out of the shower, three forty five, at three fifty one. My train was four forty one. I got a cheap train ticket. I was gonna get to, you know, Philly around five thirty, and then just eat a nice meal and relax in the green room going over my set. Well Lift says, uh, for uh, nine minutes, you'll be picked up in nine minutes. And I was like, and it's the, it's school is getting out. So traffic is kind of busy in my town. I go nine minutes. Well, all right. That's my fucking choice. Still only like a 20 minute. Tr- it's only a 20 minute ride to the train station, even with a little bit of traffic, 25 minutes max. So I go, Okay. This will get me there in time. Like that's fine. And then I see as I'm, as I'm walking out the door, I go, Oh, a new guy, I forget his name, but new guys, we found you a closer, closer ride. He'll be there in four minutes. And I was like, hell yeah. Yes. JL jinx. Go fuck yourself. So I go downstairs and it's four o'clock when it's supposed to be there, but he's one minute away. Now Lyft is just a fucking liar. Uh, six minutes. It'll be, it'll be 10 minutes. Oh, your car will be here in two minutes. It'll be six minutes. Your car will be here in 11 minutes. It'll be 15 minutes. Their, their time is never correct. But he's one minute away. And I see on the map, he literally, he is one minute away. And I go, oh, he must be stuck in traffic. Shit, this end of school traffic. So now it's like 4.05. And I'm like, where the fuck is he? He's like standing still. I see traffic moving. I get a text message. Now, he's hearing impaired. I get a message uh, on my phone. Like, you have to message with him. He is a hearing impaired driver. I go, okay, that's that's fine. Um, hey, I'm just getting some gas. I'll be there in three minutes. And I wrote back, I'm in a huge hurry to catch a train. He wrote back, sounds good. Now, the fact that you're hearing impaired, maybe you don't know what sounds good actually means. Because I'm in a big hurry and you're getting gas when you were one minute away. He picks me up at 4.11, which is 11 minutes later than he was supposed to pick me up. Now I have exactly 30 minutes to get to the train. And not really 30 minutes, but about 28 minutes still doable, but now, you know, when you're, when you're going to be a minute within five minutes of a train, the 11 minute delay off the start really hurts your chances. So he starts driving and he's driving at a pretty leisurely pace. Um, so he may not be able to hear well, but he did read my text that says I'm in a huge hurry to catch this train. So we're driving and it's of no use me huffing and puffing and cursing in the back because he can't hear it. And He keeps ignoring GPS directions. He keeps like, like as if he knows like a better way. So he keeps ignoring where we're like turns. Um, And I kept looking when we would skip a turn and I go, well, that road actually looks pretty clear. So I don't know why we skipped that. And at one point it was 428 or 429 and the GPS had him making a left turn and we were eight minutes away, eight minutes. And I go, if that's fucking true, we're good skips that turn for a better idea and i see the G- his gps immediately go to 11 minutes so now we're going to arrive at 440 which would be if i can fly if i can levitate i can probably get myself to the train track in 10 seconds so as we keep driving now we're hitting stop signs and stop lights and then i'm just sitting back there going we're, we're missing the train so then we get onto this road and it's a straightaway and I can see the train station like many blocks in the distance. Now he fucking hits, hits the gas of all that he should have been foot pedal to the metal for the entire trip. But now, you know, he hits the straightaway and maybe he thinks he, fucking secretariat, like he's going to, he's going to chase down somebody for the, for the ribbon. I get out of the, I get out of the cab at four thirty nine, and I'm running the first time I have run in what feels like a year I've got a backpack. My shoulder is not hurting because just the adrenaline rush. But I'm like, I might get this train. Tick tock 440. No escalator working. So I'm going two stairs at a time. Just like, "Ah, ah, ah." my legs are burning. They have not worked out this much in a fucking year. Actually, that's not true. In like four months, (laughs) pre pre shoulder surgery, I was doing like the bike and rowing machine and shit and doing a lot of walking. But the point is, my legs are burning. I get to the top of the fucking stairs and the Amtrak begins moving. I have missed the train by less than 30 seconds. So I then go downstairs cursing, looking like a psychotic homeless person. You know, so I'm fitting right in at Newark Penn station. Um, and I'm, I go exchange my ticket. Um, well, that's going to be an extra $64 if you want to get on the five thirty train. Cause it's obviously day of, and, and I was like, perfect, let's do it. And then I just stood there waiting for my train while a, 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 mentally ill elderly homeless man, uh, muttered something to a, a, a black mother walking with her child. And she turned around and said, I will fuck you up old man. Come back and say that shit to me. I will fuck you the fuck up. I don't care if you're an old man, you piece of fucking shit. And he just went, Police here. <laughs> and she said, Yeah, call the police, motherfucker. See if I care. And all I could think was, Ma'am, I know we're supposed to always trust black women, but, um, you know, your daughter's here. Maybe, maybe don't pick fights fatal. You know, don't threaten to kill clearly mentally ill, homeless people, maybe don't do that. I don't want to say I don't want to half white splain. I don't want to talk over you. I want you to be seen. I want you to be heard. But maybe when you're threatening murder and saying I don't give a fuck if you call the police that maybe your daughter doesn't need to hear that maybe she maybe she doesn't need to see you in quite that way. Just a thought just a thought. But uh, I didn't say that I just thought it. But um, made my way to Philly. I just told you about the show. And then I changed my train to an earlier train home. Because I thought I, I was going to get the 1210 train. And and in a weird bit of irony, I literally get off. I'm not kidding you. I get off the train and start walking to City Winery. It's like 1.3 miles. So it was a good walk. Fortunately, the weather agreed. It was like 50 degrees and no precipitation. Um, as I'm walking to City Winery, it's like 6... 45, I get a warning on my phone that my train, the 1210 train, which leaves like Roanoke, Virginia at seven o'clock or some shit is already late. <laughs> They're like, there was a signal problem. So it's been, it's delayed in leaving. And I go, so let me get this straight. I couldn't get a 30 second delay on the train coming to, to Philadelphia, but five hours in advance, you're already telling me my midnight train is fucked. And I go, that's perfect. So I traded for another $62. I upgraded, changed my train to the 1034 train coming home. Shut up, phone. Who is this? Oh, it's the Righteous Mom. What the hell? Let her leave a message. I'm podcasting, Mom. Leave me alone, Mom. I'm doing my podcast. Stop bothering me. I'm 43 years old. I can do what I want. But the point is... I, um, I almost verged into Dave Chappelle territory. I made my way to Philadelphia and I saw trans people and I said, get out of my face. Transformer. Just kidding, guys. I changed it to the 1034. Um, because what I thought was I did that during the show because I thought they were going to be, there were fans, but I thought I'd have friends show up and none showed up. So I didn't really feel the need to like, hey, I thought I was gonna be like hanging out, maybe having a drink, you know, not wanting to be rude to my people. But my people weren't really there. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just get the early train because there's no point in me staying up till 2am for nobody. Um, So yeah, I, uh, I switched to the 1034 train. And as I'm leaving City Winery at 915, I shit you not. Your train is 13 minutes delayed. And I'm like, okay, stop rubbing it in Amtrak. So every train that I will be five hours early for is delayed. The one train I needed some help right on time. So uh, I then walked over to Cheesecake Factory and uh, got myself a piece of Cinnabon cheesecake because I wanted to eat my feelings a little bit. And I walked that over to Amtrak, got on my Amtrak at 1047, 13 minutes late, sat down in the quiet car, which actually was quiet, thankfully, and ate a giant piece of Cinnabon cheesecake next to a stranger while listening to bad bunny on my iPod. Do I understand any of the words? No, but I like a couple of the songs for sure. And that's how my night ended. Um, I got home at 1230 cookie greeted me. The righteous girlfriend went, "Uh," and that will count as a romantic loving greeting. When I come back from my comedy, my comedy warrior journeys, and I fell asleep, and the sweet, the sweet elixir of fatigue and depression, and cheesecake actually get, got me like six hours sleep. So um, that's it. Tonight's Princeton. Um, tomorrow's John Wick Four. Saturday, April first is 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 the eighth hour, but it's really the eleventh hour, guys, if you know what I mean. And then hopefully in April. Maybe for my birthday, I'll be able to say, hey, check out my special half blackface. It's out. Um, yay. We did it. Goodbye. So that's it. That's been your Saturday dreary righteous prick podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Not afraid of turning off his fans to the very end. Um, But yeah, I don't really have much to promote. Uh, making Podcasts Great Again, if you've never tried it, uh, have a listen. It's still going strong. It's it's funny. Um, once again, I the reason it's still going strong is because my pride in good work overwhelms my sense of righteousness and business acumen. Um, so I'm still, if I'm doing it, I'm doing it, doing it, doing it well. And, uh, you know, it's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a good show. So if, if you haven't, if you haven't tried it, but most people are the reverse. They love that show and they never bother to try this show. This would not be the episode that I would promote for them to try and begin with. But, you know, as you guys know, I think we go like 60% really funny, 10% depressing, but interesting and 30% depressing. And why do I still listen to this show? But I feel like that's a good mix. That's a good ratio as far as I'm concerned. We're going seventy thirty on Worthwhile Listen. So uh, get your tickets to April 1st May um, at the Triad Theater. 9.30 show. I know it's a little late, but that's all I could get because I am not a comic with any power and I am not a comic in any demand. So come see the end of JL's career. It'll be a blast. Blah, 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 blah. Putting this up early, but I will see you next Tuesday. Two- Actually, Let's be honest, I will probably give you, actually, Patreon, on April 2nd, Patreon will get the, the instant recap of the, uh, the taping, good, bad, or, or in the middle, and uh, everybody else will have to wait till Tuesday to hear anything from me. Ooh, look at that incentive to join the Patreon. I'm just kidding, you don't care. See you next Tuesday.